Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to your donations at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This is a message from the Japanese Creative Industries Promotion Office. Ever since the establishment of Kabushiki Gaisha Kaigai Jio Kai Takashienkiko, or to give it its catchy name, the Law of Cool Japan Fund Incorporated, Act of Parliament number 51 of 2013, we have saved you the trouble of deciding for yourself what's cool and what isn't. For the benefit of Japanophiles all over the world, we wish to present the list of things that we, as a committee, have conclusively decided were cool during fiscal year April 2018 to March 2019, which were independently audited during fiscal year April 2019 to March 2020 by the Japanese Ministry of Culture, and are therefore to be promoted during the current fiscal year April 2020 to March 2021. Cool. Please note that our results do not account for data returned during this past fiscal year, as those data are being audited or have yet to be gathered. Cool. And with that, we can proudly announce that this year the following things are cool. Anime. The Olympic mascots Miraitawa and Samayati. The yearly festival held in Shibuya known as Halloween. And thanks to some really trendy immigration reform, hiring underpaid workers from Myanmar to take care of your grandparents is now also officially cool. Cool Japan. What's cooler than being cool? Telling you what's cool. Welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is our good friend Rochelle Kopp. Her latest Japanese language book, Ego no Hinkaku, has sold out on Amazon. And her article, What Not to Do When Your Clients Are Gaijin, is currently being circulated by the Japanese River Cruise Association during the pandemic as a guideline for how to keep foreign tourists off of their boats. Rochelle, thanks for being our first ever returnee. I'm honored. It's great to be here. On this week's show, in a rare move, Japanese entertainers are being publicly critical of the Japanese government. Have Japan celebrities finally learned the Western lesson that you don't have to be a politician or even well-versed in politics to speak out for change and then never do anything to affect said change? And the whole world wants to know, why are Japan's COVID death rates so low? We suspect it's something to do with vending machines. Luckily, Rochelle is here with some real research. Plus, Ollie's got your weekly river cruise recommendation. Yeah, Ollie? Yes, this week's recommendation is the Horsagawa River Cruise, which runs from Kamioka to Arashiyama and doubles as a riverboat pilot training center. In normal times, riverboat aficionados travel from far and wide to learn to navigate the Horsagawa's unpredictable currents and rocky terrain from some of the most renowned captains. But since their academy has been unable to operate as normal, Mr. Matsumoto, the most senior boat operator, has begun to give Skype lessons for anyone who wishes to learn how to use Skype. And two major announcements from one of Japan's largest river cruise providers. First, a heartfelt thank you to the thousands of customers who have purchased their Buy Now Ride Later river cruise tickets in an effort to help the company stay in business during the lockdown. And second, that they are going out of business. More on why there will be no later, later. But first, Soap Talk. <laughs> Bobby Judo, how's your week been? Good. I've been doing my remote Shutsuen for Saga TV. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the national TV shows in Japan where all the talent, all these big celebrities are kind of phoning in, they're FaceTiming in their appearances on these TV shows. We're basically doing that, except it's super local. So the tech is all really low tech. What, what do they do? They have two iPhones and I'm facing two iPhones. And one of them lets me see what's going on in the studio, and one of them is filming me. 
and they don't have anything tall enough or stable enough to get it up to actually film at the level of my face. So they're shooting at me. <laughs> they're shooting me from this ridiculously low angle. So you can see like the underside of my chin and I have wow. to look down at the screen. Just, just I'm looking down into the camera so I can't look at my script and I can't actually look at the other iPhone that shows me what's happening in the studio. And then one of those iPhones lets me hear what's going on in the studio. And the other one, the mic that they use is an iPhone earbud mic. <laughs> so, so this like proper TV station has tech that's no more sophisticated than a TikToker. Exactly. And it's worse than a TikToker because I have to have half of one earbud set in one ear so I can hear. Then I have to have half of the other earbud set in my other ear so the mic can be close to my mouth. And I've got, I'm on camera on TV with just two half earbuds hanging down the middle of my chest. And what kind of things are you talking about? Is it still the same? Are you still doing your, your cooking segment? They've started editing all old clips. So I'm doing like a digest version of old recipes that are seasonal that people can use while while they're at home. But other than that, I mean, it's a three hour show. And my role in the studio is just to kind of be the guy that they can ask questions about the news. But again, now the national news is all center stage. So all the local news is like, it's the library's anniversary. Bobby, do they have <laughs> libraries in America? <laughs> like... <laughs> yes and they're shut down due to covid next question <laughs> but something about it like it doesn't strike me as as stupid as it is when i'm in the studio but doing this like facing like two iphones with two right. sets of earbuds in just it feels like it's really revealed something about the inherent stupidity of what i've always been doing yeah i had exactly the same feeling the first time i used a, a love hotel with a mirror on the ceiling michelle <laughs> You teach a seminar, don't you, on how to do proper remote working? Uh, yes, that's true, yes. I can't believe we're like months into this pandemic and still people don't know how to point a webcam in their face. This is true. It's kind of amazing. And also people don't have light on their face. And you can buy a selfie light for 20 bucks. It's not yeah. that expensive, right. right? But you've also been doing actual, you yourself will participate in like talk panels and things like that online as well, right? Yes. How's right. your experience been with the, the remote Shitsuen kind of situation? Well, on one hand, you know, obviously really thankful to have the ability to do that. Oh, um, I should have said that. Right? Oh, I should have also <laughs> said that. Um, can I also take this opportunity to virtue signal as well, please? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just realized I've been shitting on the only financial income that I have. <laughs> Well, it's difficult to look this gift horse in the mouth because the webcam's too far away. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, for someone who does live sessions as you know, kind of the key thing that I do, it's really hard not to be in the same place as people. Because I'm realizing, you know, even more that, you know, you feed off the energy in the room and you just don't get the same thing when it's online. It's really frustrating. We've said the same thing about stand-up comedy. Um, I do think that you probably don't feel the same thing that I feel about what you're doing because you're you're giving people like actual lessons you're giving people practical skills you're engaging in some sort of you know, pragmatic service what I'm doing is strict entertainment and I was thinking about when I first got here to Japan and I was living in this little town in the middle of nowhere and I would walk past the bank every day and the security guard would make small talk and and he would ask me things like you know, where are you from? And I'd say, I'm from Florida. And he would go, ah, Florida. Sounds cold. And I would be like, <laughs> nope. 
And I was thinking about that because that is essentially what I do on TV. <laughs> like I'm doing the same thing now, just on on a on a public broadcast network. So, yeah. But but you're right that actually I think a lot of the the value of these seminars that you do, I'm sure, Rochelle, is the fact that people can kind of air their own views and network themselves and be seen in the room to be someone that's sharing wise and sage responses to your insights. So do you think part of that value is lost now as well? I think it, I think it definitely is because I do a lot of interactive work in our sessions and I, I really make it a chance for people to talk about what they're experiencing. So it's that getting it off your chest feeling. And that works so much better when you're in the same place in a small group. And you know, with Zoom, you can put people in breakout sessions and it's kind of cool, but it's just not really the same thing. And I, yeah. I don't explain why, but it just, it, it's missing something for me anyways. In person, there's this opportunity for constructive criticism, for this interpersonal feedback, for things to grow out in a positive and a constructive way. Online, on the other hand, is a great place for negative feedback and non-constructive yeah, right. criticism, right, Ollie? That's <laughs> yeah. Now Bobby's talking about my week. So, so uh, I mentioned two weeks ago that I was working on a, an article on can you copyright a joke. So I had a friend that's involved in a dispute where one of his one-liners has been published without his permission, without attribution, and without payment in a joke book. And so we had a chat about it, and uh, the leading kind of pop comedy publication in the UK, which is called Chortle, uh, has a section for correspondence. And so I ended up writing this article. And I put loads of effort into it, right? I, I contacted a lawyer that I know who specialises in this to make sure that the, the law was accurate. I... I even had the Oxford University Professor of Intellectual Property Law give me a quote for it. Like 3,000 words of like actual effort. Publish this on, pu I publish this, or rather Chortle publishes this. I tweet it. And the only bit of feedback I get uh, from outside the comedy community uh, is just some person online I've never heard of called Olivia Jones, who just sees the image that accompanies this article. They've just taken a, like a stock image of me performing stand-up comedy, uh, which just says, could have sworn this was Bouncer from Tracy Beaker. Now, I vaguely knew what Tracy Beaker was, but I couldn't remember who Bouncer was. I Google it and it's just a fat kid. It's just a dumb looking fat kid. Uh, and so I then I then retweet this going, ah, oh, fuck's sake, right? This is as if, you know, this as if this is all this effort for this. But the... Um, the thing that made this story kind of hit home for me was my mother obviously follows me on Twitter and I got a WhatsApp from her almost instantly going, I don't like it when people are mean to you online. Do you want me to have a word? And, and so it's really hard to explain to my own mum. That's not how the internet works. Mum's sending a message to Olivia Jones going, hey, listen, I know you thought that was funny, but my fat kid has feelings too. It's, it's probably only going to further inflame things. So I had to politely explain to my mother that although uh, although I, I love the fact that she cares, um, she can be restrained. Also, mum never denied that I do look like Bouncer from Tracy Beaker. <laughs> so if, if, if anyone's listening to this and wants to Google Bouncer from Tracy Beaker, that is, that is, I mean, I actually regret not having ever been cast in that show. It's nice that your, your mum follows you on Twitter, though. And I mean, Paige Olivia Jones, she may have been a little bit critical, but at least she retweeted your tweet, which is more than you can say for your mom who follows you on Twitter. Shall we take a look at the news? Bobby Judah, what's in the news this week? Japan by River Cruise has officially called it again. A little ding, while ding. back, we were talking about Hoshino Gen, who released that... Uh, 
musical collaboration video, the stay at home video, and had to officially come out and make a statement to the press saying that he and his team had not encouraged Abe's participation. And we had talked about how unprecedented it was for someone in the entertainment industry to make any sort of statement that could be seen, as tactful as it was, could be seen as critical of an administration's move. But now uh, we've got an article in the Japan Times, in a rare move, entertainers air criticism of Japan's response to COVID-19 crisis, with examples of a lot of people, comedians, uh, agency presidents, former idols and actresses coming out, uh, being very, very critical publicly of the way the government has handled this crisis. Isn't one of them your agency? One of them that's quoted in the article is the president of Horipro, uh, which is the agency that uh, I am attached to. He complained in an interview with the Japanese Communist Party organ Akahata of how the government's grudging support for entertainment businesses threatens to wipe out centuries of cumulative cultural development. And I have kind of mixed feelings about this because this president of this agency sent out uh, a a letter to everybody in his agency offering financial support and words of encouragement and like my wife read it and was moved to tears by how kind and how generous really? and how open-hearted this guy was being. Uh, but at the same time, I have a hard time thinking of the entertainment businesses in Japan as centuries of cumulative cultural development. Well, I think every every industry thinks they're important, right? And, you know, I was thinking just the other day, like how, like even the, like the cleaning industry has just spent eight weeks where they've had no clients because they can't do anything. They're just as important. Or restaurants, they're dropping like flies. They need to be supported. Every single sector thinks that they're important. And certainly the entertainment sector, you know, rightfully thinks that they need support, but they probably are fairly low down the pecking order. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's for me why uh, people in the arts more than other sectors are more happy to speak out because they know well, they're never going to get support anyway. But Rochelle, do you think this is, there's an explanation for this? Do you think there's a reason why this industry of, of any is happy to, to be so vocal and critical against a government that typically is, is not publicly criticized? My take on this is if you look at the opinion polls, a really large proportion of the Japanese populace is not happy with the government. And so given that this is a pretty overwhelming feeling out there, it's pretty safe for celebrities to come out and say something negative because they know almost everyone else is really not happy either. I agree. I think I appreciate Ali's point about how every industry kind of thinks of themselves as essential, but I don't know how much this has to do with the entertainment industry worried about its position in the pecking order. I think it's more the fact that this is an industry that is typically very, very dependent upon public opinion. You Mm. can't come out and say something that anybody in the general public might look at you critically for. And taking a political stance is one of those things that you will make enemies for every time. But in this particular situation, the government's response has been so bad. The first line of this article is about the free distribution of face masks. And it's like the Japanese government has messed this up so badly that even celebrities can come out and be like, we are against this and the public won't turn on them for it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's safe. But I think it's interesting that the public opinion against the Japanese government is so bad at this point that uh, one of the articles that we pulled up this week said that Japan rates its own government's handling of the crisis worse than Americans rate Trump's handling of the crisis. And I know this is a little bit of a a false equivalency, but I kind of feel 
Like this would be like a Japanese citizen in the in the 1940s saying they feel that the Jap- Japanese emperor's handling of World War II was worse <laughs> than Harry Truman's. <laughs> Just in terms of like impact. I know it's a false equivalency. <laughs> but but the fact remains that Japan is astonishingly still doing really well in relative terms. Like the number of daily cases are still in relative terms low. And there haven't been that many recorded deaths due to COVID. I mean, obviously, there's a question mark over whether some people have passed away and it hasn't been put down as as COVID related, even when it was blah, blah, blah. But I think it's undeniable that anyone that was suggesting, as some high profile people on Twitter were doing, that Japan is is on the precipice of an enormous great big public health crisis in the same way we saw in Italy, in the same way that we've had in America, the same way the UK is suffering from. It's just not true. And Rochelle, you suggest, or at least you've been teasing on Twitter that there might be some cultural reasons. Okay, well, the the analysis is still ongoing, so I can't reveal all. Nice caveat. Yes, but but let me me just sort of tell you what it is that I'm trying to do. And I'm working with another person named Adam Akar, who's a um, academic turned entrepreneur, who's also kind of a cross-cultural expert right. person. And so I was seeing all this stuff about masks and, oh, we wash our hands a lot in Japan and we take off our shoes and we don't talk when we're on the train, blah, blah, blah. And for someone who does cross-cultural communication stuff as a living, you know, that sort of sort of generalizations and also the kind of the Japan particularism um, stuff was really pretty intensely aggravating to me. Oh, I was going to say, it must have driven you insane when you see armchair pundits on Twitter making broad general statements about Japan. You're like, that's my job! (laughs) (laughs) It's my job, but also they weren't doing it very well. I mean, Japan is not the only country where people take off their shoes when they go into their homes, for example. Right, yeah. There are lots of other places that do that. Um, And it's not the only place where people bow instead of shaking hands. And it's it's just, um, yeah, it was sort of annoying and so there are tools that we use in the cross-cultural field to try and quantify some of these things so my thought was well can we look at some of those at the same time there are a lot of other interesting things going around um, hypotheses and people starting to do some analyses of it looks like people in East Asia genetically might be less susceptible it looks like countries that have had the BCG tuberculosis vaccine have some protection from that. There's a new analysis that just came out that if you've had tuberculosis, that you might be protected. So then developing countries that have a lot of tuberculosis are right. having less COVID. Can I just clarify, does this mean that if you've had the BCG vaccination, you get the virus, but but it's... The, the consequences are less severe. The BCG vaccination is supposed to strengthen your immune system generally, right? Right. 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 Which means right. that if you, get, if you get the vaccination, you can fight it off. Right. Um, either you can fight it off or possibly if you get sick, you don't get as sick. Interesting. Very interesting. So there's a lot of other kind of things out there. And, and you know, I was also seeing analysis of Oh, well, it's countries that female leaders, they're doing better. And, you know, that's kind of, yeah, yeah. You know, of course, love that idea as a woman. But is that really true? And and what was kind of bothering me with especially a lot of the cultural or things like that is 
no one did any analysis. There's no numbers on it. And so right. having, you know, um, kind of a, a, a little bit of a numbers background from my MBA, I'm like, can we do an analysis of this? And of course, some of, some of these things, the, the conclusions don't necessarily write themselves, do they? Because maybe populations who elect a female leader are more likely to be reasonable and compliant when it comes to uh, thinking about other people and, you know, you know whatever it is that yeah, uh, you can't you tell can what the working variables you are. What, right. You're right. You have to look at all sorts of different factors, right? Yeah, exactly. Are there any numbers? Are there any analysis for any of the cultural claims that people have made, like the hand washing, anything, anything like that? Because oh, you do I see said, there are all these anecdotal evidence. People will come in and say, oh, I have office colleagues who don't wash their hands. Or people will say train stations don't have soap. But those are all, again, anecdotal. I just spent a great amount of time the other day looking for hand washing data. And I was only able to find one study. And that was from um, 2015, where they asked people in countries around the world. And actually, Japan was in the bottom five of hand washing frequency after using the toilet. They self-reported? This is just an exercise in truthfulness. I mean, now we need to go and look at the dick length uh, polls again as well, because unless there's actually a doctor with a tape measure, then <laughs> I'm afraid to say that self-declaration will simply not work. Well, that's... That's well, even worse, though, because when you ask somebody to self-report for something like, did you wash your hands after you went to the bathroom? They will say yes, even though they didn't. So that means Japan's <laughs> yeah. in the worst five. They're, Japan's got to be the worst number one. That's <laughs> <laughs> not going to be good, right? Yeah. I, I, did, I did. Someone did share with me on Twitter an academic study where they were specifically looking at hand-washing behavior in hospitals. And this one was not a, a self-reported, it was an observational study. And they were in a Japanese hospital and they told people we're gonna be observing your patient encounter, but they didn't tell them why. And then they wrote down, did they wash their hands thoroughly beforehand? Right, and, did they? Um, and the author said that the, the frequency was lower than what they had observed in other countries. See, that is interesting. I thought it was odd that my Japanese dentist would just stick his fingers in my mouth without gloves. And I just yeah. presumed that. I know. And I was like, surely for his own benefit, he'd want to put a glove on. It makes me think, though. I was I was talking about how I feel like what I'm doing on TV is so stupid. One of the things that made me feel that is we had to do this thing where we all took videos of ourselves washing our hands and broadcast it locally so we could be like, this is what you're supposed to do. And as I was doing it, I was like, this is ridiculous. But now I see that I am providing a valuable public service. Yes. <laughs> Yes, if anyone's thinking, I'm going to be washing my hands like Bobby, you have helped them. I often think that Japan, in many respects, is kind of over-hygienic, right? Like, if you think about when you buy food, it's like wrapped and triple wrapped, and you go to a buffet and there's always tongs and kind of spit guards. And one part of your research, which I found was interesting, was to do with mouth movement and the suggestion that Japanese people don't spit as much while they speak. Is that true? It is actually true. There was someone who did research on this and they compared English and Chinese and Japanese and Japanese had significantly less aerosols emitting from your mouth when you speak. I know this is a daft observation, but I find it easier to speak quietly when I'm speaking Japanese. Because I, I don't think, like, I think you can speak Japanese by just almost using the front of your mouth. It doesn't need to come from anywhere. Well, you know what this makes me think of is, you know, I've been teaching at University of Kitakyushu, 
and it's this global business program where we're teaching in English. And I've, I've kind of gotten used to it, but when I first got there, the first like month or so, it was driving me crazy because the, the kids can't speak up. And, mm. you know, in English, you have to project. And I would call on someone and I'm like, say it louder. And, and a lot of people physically could not speak mm. up, even though I would be you know, badgering them. Hey, you've got to say it louder. And then they physically couldn't. Uh, this was, is a great uh, yeah. opportunity to plug Rochelle's services as an intercultural communication consultant, by the way. <laughs> speak up! <laughs> Why Shout! can't you do it? <laughs> what is wrong with you? She will badger anybody you want from any culture. <laughs> so, R Rochelle, I know you can't give a conclusion yet, and I know that you wouldn't want to make a prediction, but do you think that there might be some combination of all of these factors that may point to the fact that Japan is doing better than other countries? Um, we are still doing the analysis, um, but one, what, so I'm going to tell you more what our methodology is. And hmm. so we are we are trying to see if there is what Nobel laureate Shinya Yamanaka called factor X for Japan. And so factor X would be that thing that only Japan has that means that it's doing or is causing it to do better than other countries. Well, I can tell you what the factor X is not because there's an article here about the very clear trend that East Asia is coming through the pandemic much better than the West is. And one of the reasons that they propose for why that is, is leadership. But listen to how they say it. It says, but across East Asia, bar some vacillations in Japan, leadership has largely been on point. <laughs> That's obviously like a little sub editor going, we need to qualify this. Yeah, yeah. They went out of their way to be like, great job, everyone, except you. So anyways, we're going to see if we can identify what factor X is. There are also, we're going to be looking at, you know, for example, with some of these cultural things, uh, one that's looking promising in the analysis is how individualistic a society is versus how group oriented it is. Right. And yeah. So some of the things that people have been saying about Japan, you know, on Twitter, people were saying, oh, well, Japanese are obedient to rules. Well, I don't really want to get into the obedient world, but if you think about um, being cooperative with what your society needs, there's a pretty big contrast between the behavior we're seeing in Japan and all the people in, in the very individualistic United States right now who are arguing about having to wear masks into stores and protesting mm, about locking right. down. So, you know, there, there, this looks like that difference between countries may be very significant. Yeah, one of the things that we were saying right at the top of the episode is how in Japan it's such a huge deal that some people are publicly criticizing the government's approach. Contrast that with America where people are taking their guns out and spitting into each other's faces while protesting. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, top, the top news story is a little bit different, right? Yeah. I just can't wait for Abe to go on the news to say that he's medicating by eating natto. Uh, although, actually, if you really want to think about it, one of the problems <laughs> with... Rochelle, we don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we'd, rather just, we'd rather just spitball, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Okay, sorry. <laughs> there is a 
like a reason why that <laughs> might help. <laughs> well, if you've thought about it, then by all means, do share that wisdom with us. But, but okay. we will not be critically engaging. Okay, that's fine. Okay, but anyway, well, someone had said on Twitter, they're like, well, what about Nato? And I'm like, well, there's actually a rational reason. Um, the thing about COVID is one of the reasons ways one of the reasons it kills people is that it causes a lot of blood clots. And natto has an enzyme in it called natto kinase, oh which my breaks God. down blood clots. Is there anything left to satirize, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose, Rochelle, the, the, the main question I'd like to ask from all of your research is, can you eat natto? <laughs> I can only eat nacho if I put barbecue sauce on <laughs> 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 and if and if that isn't and if, and if that isn't the paradigm of cross cultural fusion I don't know what is. <laughs> Hey, thanks very much for listening to this Japan by River Cruise episode 36, sponsored by Heinz Barbecue Sauce. If you are new to the podcast, then please make sure to subscribe. We have a new episode every single week. Thank you very much to Rochelle for coming back again to give her cultural insights and recipe ideas. Rochelle, your latest book, Ego no Hinkaku, is doing very, very well in the Japanese market, but you also write, tweet, and blog proficiently in English as well. Where can we find some of that? Yeah, I want to praise your English too, actually. If I, if I may just take this opportunity to also say Ego is very Jolzu. Ah, thank you. Um, so I'm on Twitter at Japan Intercult, which has nothing to do with cult religions. It's the abbreviation for Japan Intercultural, my company.